Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, hello, hello, hello. What a weekend of Serie A it was. Inter have won the Scudetto for the first time in 11 years. Parma and Grutone are both relegated. And the Forza Italian Football Podcast is back to talk about it all. I'm your host, Connor Clancy. I'm joined, as always, unfortunately, by Kev Pogzielski. Kev, say hello. Hello, everybody. Do you want to talk about what we were talking about off air, or should we leave it? That's not enough minutes in the pod. <laughs> And we're also joined by Vito Doria. Vito, I'm sorry you had to hear what Kev was just saying. How are you keeping, mate? Oh, yeah, I'm feeling better. So, yeah, I'm feeling more awake than I would have in the previous few weeks. Yeah, and I think Kev and I are feeling a little bit less awake than we would in previous weeks for that very reason. <laughs> but, guys, am I alone and just feeling a little bit of excitement this Monday evening, this pod recording, because for the first time since since I've been involved with Forza Italian football, for the first time since 2011, Serie A has a winner that's not Juve. And for the first time since 2010, it's Inter. Kev, they've only gone and done it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I share your, uh, you know, your excitement because it's felt, it's felt like it's been coming. But I suppose, yeah, when you do look at it in the wider context that it's the first title in uh, 11 years for Inter, uh, new champion for the first time in a decade. And I suppose it is it is quite momentous. And as much as people probably, uh, well, there are probably plenty of people out there that dislike Inter as much as they dislike Juve, it, it, it probably is a, a good well, thing for the league. Not, not quite. <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe not quite, but um, there's certainly one half of Milan that probably dislike them as much as uh, as Juve. Yeah, I, I looking for excitement, looking for happiness, looking for something to celebrate. I shouldn't have gone to Kev first, Vito. It's a great day for Italian football. Mm. Juve have been dethroned, and it's nothing against Juve. It's just nice to have a different winner. I think it's a big relief, and I do think it's one way to at least somehow try and attract some new fans to Serie A. Sure, Inter have sealed the title with four rounds remaining, but the fact that Juventus's nine-year dominance of Serie A has been broken, I think that's going to be a big relief for anyone who doesn't support the Bianconeri. But, I mean, if if it's one at least one thing for neutrals to try and keep an eye on Serie A, I think that's very good. And uh, Inter, they've been building towards this moment ever since uh, the Zhang family and the Suning group bought the club in 2016. Um, they tried with uh, Spalletti to be a more competitive side. They decided to bring in Antonio Conte. And uh, now Inter has seen the rewards. 
they've brought in the players that Conte wanted. And uh, Antonio Conte has shown once again that although his European pedigree hasn't been the best still, at least if you let him build for a league title, he will um, get you the domestic honours. I'm not sure um, if I fully agree with Inter winning the league, as Vito says about bringing neutrals to to Serie A. Because I think if I think about how I got, you know, into Italian football, it was almost the the number of sides that were competitive against each other. And I think if this season has done anything to increase some, you know, some some people coming towards Italian football because they hadn't previously watched it as much as they you know, other leagues is probably the those sides below where you've actually got this 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 race of the Champions League places. And actually if that can remain consistent over two or three years, so some of those some of those people that only really watch the Champions League see, you know, different sides getting in from Italy, you know, maybe five, six, seven sides and it interchanges a little bit over the next two or three seasons. I think that will be really positive for for bringing more fans to um to watch Italian football from outside the country. Is Inter not winning the Scudetto just representative of that very fact, though? That there's always been these these good teams slightly below Juve, and now one of them has proven it by going and, gone and actually winning the Scudetto? Yeah, possibly. And it certainly will do that. It'll have that impact where people will just look even at the table now. You know, they might they might hear this weekend that Inter have won the league. They'll look at the table and they'll see Atalanta on 69, Juve 69, you know, all these other sides below them. Um, but I think where you look at, you know, the, the obvious example is the, the Premier League coming from a really poor position in the 90s where, that, you know, the, the, the football was, was, was terrible. There wasn't necessarily a, um, you know, a team dominating it, but it, it wasn't particularly good for the, for the neutrals. And yet actually what got a lot of the success that they have now was the, the competitive nature and the variety of the teams that were, well, that were challenging. Kev, okay, you slightly broke up a little bit there. Could you maybe repeat it? Um, yeah, well, depending on how far we went back, I think I might be more About uh, 20 seconds. You said the Premier out. League was terrible football in the 90s. Well, yeah, it, was, it, it wasn't great from a sort of a neutral spectacle angle. And I think that for so long it, it had that variety of teams. Um, it, it was what it was, it was a unique selling point that it didn't have somebody dominating. My, my fear would be that Inter then go and dominate now for two or three seasons. But um, I mean, I think it's positive. I was just uh, I just fancied disagreeing with Vito for a bit, didn't I? <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But Vito, we've given him his fair share, probably perhaps more than his fair share of stick on this podcast particularly i've been guilty of this i hold my hands up but once they got locked out of the champions league you've got to say hats off to antonio conte because inter were pretty much untouchable especially in the second half of the season we saw that in the first half ac milan had a great spell and continued their post first lockdown form that they were gelling very well, playing above themselves. And uh, it looks like that even with Simon Kier and uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, they would be able to give valuable leadership and experience to the young ones. But uh, Inter have a stronger squad overall. And uh, those who weren't always starting, especially in the first half of the season, eventually showed in the second half that they could play a role in contest team and uh, make a difference. There have been those key players such as Lukaku, Barella, Stefan De Vrij, who have uh, been integral to this team's success. But you get someone like Ivan Perisic, who's a natural left winger and has had to play more as a left wing back. He's managed to adapt. Um, a player like Danilo D'Ambrosio plays a variety of roles. Milan Skriniar was supposedly not able to adapt to a back three. He's performed better this season. And also, you have uh, uh, Hachaf Hakimi, who's been a great acquisition for the team. But Matteo Darmian can play on either um, flank, and he's been uh, versatile. 
He's performed his roles admirably on both sides and even chipped in with goals. So, um, and when the Conte is able to get his uh, points across, um, he can make players uh, play above themselves and work as a cohesive unit. Yeah, you and Burns actually wrote a piece for us, which is going up onto the website tomorrow morning. So probably before this is released, but it's going up on Tuesday morning anyway. So head over and have a read of that. Basically taking a look at the, I guess, almost the unsung heroes, the unlikely heroes of this Scudetto win for Inter. And he basically just mentioned all the names that you were going through there. And one of them, as well, who probably does deserve a mention, Kev, given you did the report for us on this game against Crotone that they won on Saturday. Christian Eriksen got the goal. And basically, since he's come into the team, Inter have been incredible. And he's another one of those who will take a lot of credit for this title, despite the fact that they probably would have paid someone to take them, to take him off their hands in January. Yeah, I think they um, they certainly sort of Gave up on him a little bit too early, you know, given his initial struggles in, in in Milan. But he provides that that little bit more create creativity, and certainly did um, on on Saturday. He thinks Stefano Sensi came off almost as a direct replacement, and while he was he was full of sort of hard running and and trying to get into goal scores, scoring opportunities. Uh, Protone were sitting relatively deep, and it just needed that that increase of sort of technical ability and maybe even pace because he was just getting his passes off a little bit bit quicker and it was a wonderful kind of passing move that he almost I don't think he played an active role until he hit the deflected shot into the net but the fact that he came off and he was making everything else move just that sort of half second second quicker um sort of helped develop that wonderful sort of um passing move that Sanchez whipped the ball into the Lukaku and it was like control touch off to Ericsson bang and then they, they, they found that breakthrough mm, this Inter winning the title is obviously the big story there there are still other games and there is still a lot of the season to play well four weeks of the season to play so at the end of the season we will talk a little bit more about Inter winning the title once everything is is done and the dust has settled just a little bit but Inter fans rather expectedly, I suppose you could say, gathered notably at Piazza del Duomo in Milan, but pretty much all over the city celebrating this one. And it's come in for a little bit of criticism. And I don't think we could do this podcast without at least addressing that side of things. Great to see Inter celebrating it, but given what Italy has been through over the last 14 months and given the fact that the coronavirus restrictions only eased I think it was less than two weeks before this game. I felt personally very uneasy watching these photos. Lombardia has been the hardest hit region in Italy by all of this. It's a region that borders the region wherein I live in Emilia-Romagna. And I've got to be honest, I saw a lot of people gathering. And the first thing I thought was, Lombardy is going back into a red zone. Um, guys, am I the only one who looks at this and, and thinks, oh, please don't do anything too stupid? I, I, don't, have a, I don't have a particular problem with it. Um, so uh, for a couple of reasons, I suppose. We are at, we are 14 months along from when, you know, this all started. We had a peak. People have more information on, on, on what's happening. And then if some direct examples from from the UK, you had... Where real... a lot of people are vaccinated and nobody in Italy is vaccinated. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm talking about uh, 12 months ago. Okay. Well, actually, in two instances 12 months ago where you had, you know, leagues and things were being completed and the only real outpourings you saw of significant crowd gatherings was uh, Leeds United where they'd they ended a 16-year absence from the Premier League and Liverpool, where I've got a close connection and they'd, they'd won the title for the first time in 30 years. Now, we discussed about against amongst ourselves and obviously friends up there that did choose to go to some of the go to some of the gatherings and whether we do it ourselves. I think it comes down to personal choice and I th- I'd just like to hope that those people that did gather 
would have done exactly the same thing as what our friends did and what I would have done if I'd been a little bit closer to to Liverpool at the time was that made a judgment on whether I felt it was a significant risk for myself and then an extension to that am I am I in contact with further people you know if you're doing a job where you're forced to go into the workplace and interact with other people then I probably wouldn't have done it you know I'm in a scenario mm. where all of my working's from home if I'd left the house and I'd gone to some celebrations the likelihood is I'm going back to my wife and nobody else for some time so I just like to think I think you've got to say that it's understandable after a significant absence of a trophy or a title or whatever and then just mm. hopefully that the people are taking into account the circumstances that not just affects them but also the extended people around them that, that, that they could um, cause issues mm. to health-wise. Now, I take your point. My immediate reaction to the celebrations in, in June will be that case numbers are significantly different now than they would have been back then. But yeah, take take the point. Anyway, Inter have won the Scudetto and it's it's remarkable. But on, on the other side of that, Crotone, who, who they beat on Saturday, have been relegated and Vito... It's not a shock to see Crotone go down, but it is a shame and we will miss them, even if they didn't get many results that would warrant us missing them. But the way they play, the way they are, it's nice to have a Calabrese side up there and we're going to miss Crotone. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's uh, important, especially for the diaspora, to actually have a team from Calabria because so many people are of Calabrian origin. But uh, as mentioned, you know, on social media, the outside world and so forth, that um, because not many teams from that region have been promoted or made it to Serie a lot of them are supporters of the big three. So to at least have one club from that region would bring some sort of attachment or sentiment to... Um, to the region where the parents, grandparents and great-grandparents came from. So uh, I think uh, that would be good, regardless if it is Crotone or another team, especially if uh, Regina could somehow try and build a competitive squad. Catanzaro uh, in the fight for the Serie C playoffs, hopefully they can go into Serie B and maybe one day get back into Serie A after nearly 40 years. So that'd be awesome. But uh, going back to the Pitagorici, I think... Uh, for some reason, they managed to play a bit better under Sereze Cosmi. They seemed to be a bit more prolific in their scoring, um, even though they were still leaking goals like a sieve. Uh, they were involved in some rather interesting games. And players like um, Junior Macias and uh, Simi have shown that they deserve to be in Serie A because they do provide creativity and quality finishing. And uh, Adam Unis, after, excuse me, years at Napoli and... Cagliari sort of struggling to find his way in Italian football. At Crotone, he's shown that uh, he probably merits a place at another Serie A club where he can start, even if it's another relegation battler. Um, Unis can provide a bit of uh, flair and unpredictability. So there are those players uh, who merit staying in this division and uh, capturing our attention. No, you're absolutely right. Joining Crotone and Serie B next season will be Parma. They lost 1-0 away to Torino on Monday evening. The reason we're recording this a day late, in fact. And Kev, it, it's been quite a while coming. If you only win three games over the course of 34, you can't really have too many complaints when you go down. But is there an argument to be made that, given how everything's been over the last year, Parma spending a season in Serie B mightn't be the worst thing for them? No, I think we said a couple of weeks ago that uh, it might do them quite, you know, quite a lot of good to just sort of go recoup, you know, regroup. Sorry, recoup, Re- <laughs> regroup and come back a bit a bit stronger. Um, but yeah, they they need to have sort of quite a hard, deep look at what's going on there because there's been a a distinct lack of fight um, in the last few weeks. Um, you know, even though they had the they had the four three against Cagliari, but they at times they that was more a a collapse than kind of fighting back to get anything from it. And uh, you know, I watched that game tonight, and they never really looked like they even felt like threatening Torino. And Torino was certainly more up for finding the goal that would 
probably has secured their um, top flight status for another year. It was quite a sad night. Vito, you want to jump in? I was going to say, just in general with Parma, I think going down would be good too, at least from a footballing perspective, because if you've seen how they've risen up the divisions with Roberto Daversa, this team really had his tactical imprint on the team. So from Serie C to Serie B and Serie A, um, it was his 4-3-3 and his way of uh, setting up the team. Even when they tried to bring in a new coach, they brought in Fabio Liverani. He couldn't implement his 4-3-1-2 effectively. He tried to change things around, wasn't successful. Parma decided to bring the Versa back and even he couldn't uh, stop the shink from sinking, so to speak. So perhaps uh, this will give uh, Kyle Krauss and all the staff at Parma to regenerate, evaluate the squad, rebuild and uh, see what type of coach they want and what philosophy he implements. Absolutely right. Look, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to go speak to you and Burns about Serie Feminile, where there were a lot, there was a lot of chaos this past weekend, and we'll come back to talk about the race for the Champions League places in just a moment. Oh, Ewan, thanks for joining us again to talk about Serie Feminile, and it's been another exciting round of fixtures, the fourth last round of fixtures, and things are really taking shape there now. It was a weekend full of chaos, wasn't there? There was a 6-1, a 3-3, a 3-1, a 4-0, a 5-0. And then, of course, Roma Milan played out a 0-0 draw as well. But talk us through what happened over the weekend. Evening, champs. You're going to have to forgive the fact that I sound a bit dead. I'm full of hay fever at the moment. But um, Juve effectively won the league this weekend. It's it's not quite official yet. The gap back to Milan had been six points for a long time because they both just kept winning every game they played, apart from when they played each other. Um, But Milan did finally drop points this weekend. They had, what? was effectively a mock Coppa Italia final against Roma. And it was probably the pick of the fixtures heading into the weekend. But as is so often the case in football, it was quite underwhelming and it ended nil-nil, which was pretty useless for both both sides, really. Um, and Juve, meanwhile, did another one of their massive wins. They, uh, they hammered Florentia 6-1 at home to really get rid of any chance of some sort of title capitulation. Um, but the other big news in the league was right down the other end of the table. Obviously, um, Bari are rooted to the bottom. They've only got three points this season. But they lost They lost 3-1 to Fiorentina this week. But the two teams above them are Napoli and San Marino. And they played each other this weekend. So you might expect a tense, cagey relegation affair. But Napoli went and battered them 5-0, which is a huge result. It was only 1-0 until the 70th minute. But then the floodgates seemed to open and they disappeared off into the hills. Um, so the bottom two teams in this league get relegated so obviously Bari is expected to be well they will be one of them Um, but then after that result Napoli are now three points ahead of San Marino with three games left but it's San Marino have definitely got the better run in because they play Bari and then Hellas Verona who are um, just above Napoli Um, they're not going to get dragged into the race they're mathematically safe but they're definitely a team you'd want to be playing right now if you're desperate um, whereas Napoli need to go to Juventus and then they play Roma on the final day. So despite that 5-0 scoreline, that, that, those two teams could easily switch around come the end of the season. In terms of other games, Inter blew a 3-0 lead at home to Empoli and they, they conceded three goals in the last 13 minutes, which is a bit baffling. Um, and then Sassuolo carried, carried on going about their business in third place. They seem very content to stay there. They beat Hellas Verona 4-0 away from home. So it's expected that next weekend, Juve are going to win the league. All they need to do is register a point, or they can even lose if they like if, if Milan fail to win. Um, but playing Napoli, you were right down the bottom. You'd expect them to go and win 15-0 or something daft like that. And then for the final few weekends, all of the attention is going to turn to that fight between Napoli and San Marino. Yeah, it's definitely getting very, very interesting down at the bottom. The top... I mean, as we spoke about last week, Juve have won every single game that they've played this season. And until this weekend, Milan had only failed to pick up the two the points in the two games that they lost to Juve. So all attention very much turns to the bottom, which it, that that game, that San Marino game came at an unfortunate time because I got, I got an interview with Mili Chandarana 
of San Marino attacking midfield who started that game for them on Sunday and they were speaking about how they're full of belief that they're going to stay up they're full of belief before that game but this is football right sometimes things just don't go to plan anyway you thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us and we'll chat to you again next week mate And we're back. And the race for the Champions League places is what is going to keep anyone who has a passing interest in Serie A keeping an eye on Serie A for the rest of the season. Because I just, I'm just going to read out the teams and the points totals. Um, so you've got Atalanta 69, Juventus 69, Milan 69, Napoli 67, Lazio 64. Lazio do, of course, have a game in hand over everybody else, which I believe is against Torino from that rearranged COVID game. And it's hard to know who the momentum was with because before the weekend, you probably would have said Atalanta. They drew, although they were kind of strange circumstances. Kev, I mean, Pierluigi Gallini got sent off early on. And then Rafael Toloi decided that Sassuolo needed more help than just having a man extra, so he just gave them a penalty as he likes to do this season in important games. Um, what did you make of this one at the Mafe? Well, those those two decisions, I don't think I don't think Atalanta fans can argue them too much. Um, I think probably the, the one if if it's harsh at all, Galini, because he did mm. kinda if you see a centre half do that, then there's I don't even think they're calling a foul there. But I think if you're if you're any one of the ten outfield players in the team there, you're just sort of holding your Head in your hands, wondering why he's decided to have that rush of blood, of the you know come to the head and and make the challenge at all. But mm. it, it looks so much worse because he's a goalkeeper stopping the you know the striker going around him, and because he's come so far out of his uh, goal. If I think it was was it Boga, yes, or was it Troy? Yeah, Boga, and um, I think as soon as he gets round him, he's, he's placing that into a near empty net. Because there was there wasn't an Atalanta defender that had done really well to sort of kind of chase back, but I still think he wouldn't have got there. It just it looked like they were closer when they'd uh, slowed it all down for the replays. And then with Toloi, well, yeah, it was it was just ridiculous shove in the back. He doesn't even sort of try and get himself ahead of the attacker to put his body in the way. But yeah, it was strange, obviously, because Galini got sent off to Atalanta went ahead, and you thought, okay. They're not exactly the side where you would assume that they're going to now shut up shop and uh, sort of see this out, particularly particularly against a side like Sassuolo, who will you know just come out and attack you. And Deserbi mm. uh, is very good at sort of shuffling his pack, you know, formation wise and t- and tactically. Um, you know, they, they, you thought they they were they they got away with one because um, Sassuolo had the goal ruled out for offside um, after VAR stepped in mm. but then um, Atalanta were handed their own penalty and the one person that you know <laughs> just his form this season mm. but certainly with you know what we know he's um, able to do Luis Muriel goes and sends a very tame spot kick straight at the goalkeeper really that was a really bad penalty that wasn't that like really quite remarkably bad from Muriel but I don't know why they don't just let Malinowski take penalties because Muriel missed that important one against Inter last season as well. And still a little bit scarred by that. Malinowski just steps up, boom. You know, he, he scores in the bigger moments when, when Muriel might not from 12 yards. But what you were talking about with the Zerbi shuffle in the pack, I've just got to bring in the fact that during the week I spoke to Sassuolo midfielder Pedro Obiang leading up to this and he was talking about how Sassuolo really wanted to get revenge against Atalanta. He, he admitted that Atalanta were a club and a team that everybody at Sassuolo is open about just saying, yeah, we want to do what they're doing. We're not keeping any secrets about it. The, the players know, the, the staff and the higher-ups who aren't connected to the actual football side of it. They just want to be Atalanta and he, he spoke about the Zerbi, how the Zerbi basically doesn't really decide too much about the formation. He just kind of lets them decide on the pitch. So he'll set them up in an initial way. But then he kind of says, guys, when you're on the pitch, I want you to have trained so well in a number of situations that you know instinctively on the pitch how to play. So it's kind of up to the players once they're on the pitch. Obviously, 
he will point them in the right direction and stuff. But I just thought that was quite interesting. And I was trying to keep an eye on it during this game. But I suppose it's a little bit different when one of the teams is down to 10 men and then the other goes down to 10 men as well. It was an interesting game. But two points that Atalanta dropped, which allowed Juve to pull back level on terms of points and nine on 69. But Atalanta, of course, have the head-to-head advantage over Juve. But Vito, Cristiano Ronaldo is the best player the world has ever seen because he scored two goals away to Udinese after three bad weeks. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he all his fanboys would generally believe what you just said. And they'll force it down our throats on Twitter. They have been. They, they very much have been, Vito. Um, yeah, but this was a, a big win for Juve, that to, especially the circumstances that it came in. They were li- they were losing to Udinese through a, I mean, a, just a disastrous goal to concede, just falling asleep on a defensive set piece. And it took them a Cristiano Ronaldo penalty in the last 10 minutes and then a, I think it was a stoppage time winner or an 89th minute winner. But, Big for Juve, and now they've got to play Milan very, very soon. Who are you fancying, Milan or Juve? Because it looks like it's going to be one of them that misses out. Was it? Was this also the first time anything positive's come from a Cristiano Ronaldo free kick? Because oh, it, went, it, right. went, it went straight into the wall as usual, and they got a penalty. So what's, the, probably... what's the Paul doing? Why? Why did he do that? Every Cristiano Ronaldo free kick that he's taken in his life, except for the one against Portsmouth, has hit the wall. And DePaul jumps up and sticks his... <laughs> What's he doing that for? Well, he's gone to the uh, Trigger Larson school of uh, uh, defending set pieces. Do you know, I didn't even put two and two together, though. <laughs> What's happening at Udinese? What's in the water in Udinese? Because they're, they're all just smacking handballs around the place. I was going to ask which was the most brainless penalty concession of the day, the Polar Toloi. But let's extend it out to the season and just make it a new Danese competition. Strigger Larson or the Paul, which was more stupid? Strigger Larson. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree, Vito, yeah. They've still got yeah. a couple of weeks. They can get a top three, can't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can. We might just be missing one as well because, let's be honest, it's Udinese and we've not watched them as much as other teams. But... Can we can we get someone to say something positive about Juve, or are we just are we just not doing that this week? Well, they'll they'll finish in the Champions League spots. I Will they? Told you, I've, I've, I've well, I told you before we came on. I've I've mapped out the last four weeks of the season. I haven't you have, and your predictions so. are notoriously accurate. So can you just run us through? You've yeah. given you've done points predictions for how it's yeah. going to finish. Yeah. So I have Inter getting a grand total of ninety two, then Atalanta on eighty one, Napoli. Uh, with 79 in third and then Juve with 77 in uh, fourth. Milan miss out with 73 actually. So you've Atalanta finishing nine points ahead of Milan? I actually have Lazio even finishing ahead of uh, Milan by two points. Do you? Mm. There you go. Put yeah. your money on it because Kev's going to be right about this Qualiorella bet, which I'm <laughs> devastated about. <laughs> By the way, it's still two goals with four games left. It's still very much open, but I've kind of just written off quite extent, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not even flying that flag myself anymore. Um, but there was another one we made, which you were terribly wrong about when I said that Inter would win the league comfortably by about 10 points and that Milan wouldn't finish second. And hello, Kevin. But anyway. <laughs> we're, we're one each on that count but ah, what else have we got to talk about Lazio Vito we've got to talk about Lazio because it should have been easier than it was they hosted Genoa and they were cruising they were absolutely cruising they had a 4-1 lead and then somehow in the space of about 60 seconds Genoa scored twice and Lazio were made to sweat for the last few minutes. They held on a 1-4-3, but they don't win easily. No, they don't. And also, probably at the start, Mati Perin made a few saves. But more than anything, just Lazio probably got a bit too complacent once they got to 4-1. They just looked like they were very well in control of the game, made it look quite easy. Uh, they were just hitting on the counter, 
just playing either vertical diagonal balls and they were just carving Genoa into pieces, really. Luis Alberto, Lucas, Slava, um, Immobile, Correa, they were all having the top games. So they really could have added further gloss to the win and really humiliated them. But uh, the Grifone <laughs> managed to get those goals in the last 10 minutes and uh, made it a little bit scary. Wishful thinking there, Vito, talking about humiliations in Genoa. Um, I've just realised, are, are you still angry with me? Oh, with that thing? Oh, look, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know who possessed you to get that, but, uh, yeah, like I said, there are many other fashion accessories that would be far more appropriate. <laughs> you can even ask Borat. <laughs> even his fashion sets would be better than wearing a Genoa shirt you know i picked it on the cheap picked it up on the cheap a a good few years ago now and i was going to play football golf and i just needed something and i didn't have much and i saw the genoa thing and thought you know they're playing lazio this weekend i'd like genoa to get a result here and i can just do something to annoy vito so i just just went with it i didn't have anything that would wind up kev unfortunately but how did the foot golf go um well, actually, so it was just me and one of my friends, and neither of us are good at football. So I won, but I came in at like 10 over par, um, and he was 15 over par, which isn't very good, but it's the first time I've kicked the ball since, I believe, September. So I wasn't too disappointed with it. There's a couple of shots where you find yourself very frustrated with the fact that you're not playing golf, because there's... Absolutely no resistance from the grass on a football if there's a slight incline or a decline. So the ball just goes and it's up in the mountains as well. It used to be an old golf course, so it is quite hilly and you can get into trouble very, very quickly. But it was good. Nice day out. Got some tacos and a pint of Guinness afterwards. So can't complain. Can't complain. Thanks for asking, Kev. Um, I'm just going to read out a stat that Alistair McKenzie pointed out on Twitter. It popped up on Sky Sport Italia. He said, which is the average points totals of teams involved in the top four race over the last two months. And Kevin, I'm going to come to you for this because see how it fits with your little prediction table. Lazio have been picking up 2.33 points per game. Atalanta 2.3, Napoli 2.18, Juve 2.09, and Milan 1.7. Yeah, well, I think that does fit with with what I've looked at in the last four games, it's that Napoli, Napoli and Milan are the two sides that positions check. No, I didn't say Napoli. Lazio and Milan. I know why I mm. said Napoli. But Lazio and Milan are the two sides where their positions are going to change drastically, certainly over probably the weeks at which they've calculated that um, those points averages and how I've got them finishing the end of the season, which is, you know, let's face it, it's, yeah, that's really going to suck for Milan after leading the you know, leaving the league for so long. The other team that are involved in that, Milan, not Milan, behind Milan, Napoli are currently sitting fifth, but Vito, they should have just killed off Cagliari. They they missed a hatful of chances. They didn't take their chances and they, they could have been one of four teams on 69 points rather than being two points behind everyone else. You did the report for us on this one. How did it go? Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Napoli should have won far more comprehensively. I thought it was the kind of game they should have won 4-1 or even 5-1. But between Alessio Cranio making some good saves... um, Diego Demme hitting the crossbar and, of course, some chances just being quite wasteful, not being put away properly, uh, unfortunately came to be their undoing. Um, Napoli played some uh, fine football. Um, yep, Victor Ozzyman had a goal disallowed, which would have been his second for the game. But um, although he did have his hand on Diego Godin, there was barely any force, um, you know, on the action for Ossiman to really push him down. It was like Godin was too willing to go down like he did in that situation. Even even so, there were just uh, some chances like Ossiman missed a free header after Koulibaly played a lovely pass to Zielinski. Zielinski put in a superb cross and Ossiman headed wide where he was pretty much in front of the goal. Lozano, in fact, uh, headed wide after a good Ossiman cross, so... Chances like that need to be taken. Um, Coyote probably improved a bit more in the second half. And uh, Merritt was really making some excellent saves towards the end. Seems like uh, Pavoletti and him were having their own little battle of their own. And then Nandez, who's an incredible worker for the Isolani, chipped in with the equaliser. Yeah, and what a time to get that equaliser. And it just makes everything at the bottom well, it did at the time. It seemed a little bit more dramatic at the bottom when that goal happened because Palma hadn't been relegated by then. Okay, they kind of had. But importantly, Torino hadn't won. And now Torino look okay, I think we could say. Benevento in big trouble because they lost 2-0, kept to Milan. And 2-0 kind of flattered Benevento, really, because Milan had chance after chance after chance. But this is just... a, a, a kind of textbook 2-0 win for a Champions League hopeful against a relegation fighting team and not that remarkable a result? No, I think um, if well, if you know, Benevento play like that and Milan don't get a sort of, not necessarily comprehensive, but comfortable victory, then, you know, you'd be worried. But for Benevento, really, you know, I, I didn't have them be in this situation in the last couple of weeks of the season and they... They really just need to grab something from from somewhere, and they've got some difficult games coming up because they've got to play Calgary next week. Now Calgary can see, you know, can can view that and take take the sort of run they've been on, and you know, and think, well, that 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 could end, you know, the the, the relegation challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, they've also got Crotone to play, and it's one of those cliches in football that when the pressure's off because Crotone ever. Are already down. We know that they can play some nice football, and yeah, you just you just wonder if they can actually get enough sort of momentum going to pick up the points that will save them now, Benevento. You'd really back Cagliari to get to beat Benevento, wouldn't you? Yeah, even the fact that it's away from home again, we've 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 not had fans this season to see how Benevento um, would maybe put pressure on people in their own stadium, but. Yeah, you think Calgary just at the moment will go and grind something out. Um, the only, I suppose, if you look at the game against Napoli, you know, because I thought that that Osman chance where Farshan had disallowed it would have probably mm. been the end of Calgary because they looked like they knew what they were, you know, they knew that they only had one goal in them maybe against Napoli because they can out just outscore you. Whereas against Benevento, I think Calgary might be a bit more attacking. They won't take the same approach as what they took to Naples. And um, they could just go and try and get a couple of goals up before the before the second half even begins. 
we spoke a lot earlier in the season about how good it was that it looked like two of the newly promoted teams weren't going to have any relegation bother and now two of the <laughs> one of them's already relegated and two are two of what three sides <laughs> battling to not get relegated so it looks like we might just keep hold of Benevento or Spezia um but either way it's nice that at least one of them stayed up I suppose um what else have we got to talk about? What else have we got to talk about from the top? I, do you know what? I'm just going to throw it over to you guys. Do, do either of you want to mention anything else from the top before we just start going through the other games quite quickly? I don't think so. No, right? There wasn't too much of note happening. Vito, I'll come to you then, because as close as we can get to the top without being um, one of the top teams were was Roma. Went away to Sampdoria, having lost 6-2 away to Manchester United on Thursday. Um, flying the flag for Serie A in Europe there. And they got beaten 2-0 by Samp against their good old friend Claudio Ranieri, who probably didn't even really want to beat them all that much. But does this not just show you what <laughs> Roma are? Oh, look... In the last month or so, Roma have really collapsed. I don't know if all the rumours of Fonseca getting the flick at the end of the season has got to him, if he's really paid attention to any exterior noise. But uh, I think the results are showing that uh, uh, Roma are really in a free fall and it doesn't look like it's going to stop at any moment. Uh, watching uh, the game against uh, Samp... Um, they were playing on the counter-attack and uh, even though they got a few moments where they were able to break away, um, they were getting caught offside. They had three goals disallowed, rightly so, and um, on four occasions, um, Jacko was clearly in offside position. So it's surprising that someone with his experience got caught out as many times as he did. And not only that, probably... Um, although the score finished 2 0, probably if it wasn't from, or some saves from Daniel Fusato and a bit of wastefulness on Samp, it could have been even worse. Earlier this season, Vito, I was quite sympathetic towards Paolo Fonseca because he was getting a lot of criticism, and I kind of thought, what do you really want from him, given the squad that Roma have? It's not as good as the other squads around them, but. Given how much they've fallen off in the last couple of months, I'm starting to lean towards the side of the people who are saying that Fonseca should just be given his marching orders at the end of the season because to collapse like this, I mean, it's pretty unforgivable. Oh, very much so. Just uh, And as you said, especially after having such a good start, getting as far as they have done in Europe because it's the second European appearance in the semi-finals in um, four seasons. So for a club like Roma to get to the semi-finals of any competition is pretty impress- impressive given their history. And, um, yeah, it looks like uh, even uh, holding on to a spot for next year's Europa League might be a bit of a challenge. Looking at the lineup that they used against Sampa, I was a bit surprised because Jekka was up front, but they had Borja Mayoral just playing off him like he was attacking midfielder. So I thought that was a bit strange. And um, uh, just, yeah, the fullback positions, you know, when you have Santon and Bruno Perez, pretty much uh, just scrapping the barrel, unfortunately. Mm. I mean, Karsdorp and Spinazzola are clearly better choices when they are both fit. So I think that also makes a world of difference. And... um, yeah, there's been speculation that Maurizio Sari could come in and take charge of the Giallo Rossi and he's been given a two-year two, two year contract, if I've read correctly. So I'm, if Sari is indeed the successor to Fonseca, I'm curious to see uh, um, how he'll make his 4-3-3 formation work. And if it does, I think Roma still have enough attacking weapons to at least be an exciting team to watch. Whether they qualify for the Champions League is a different matter altogether. Yeah, I think Roman Rosario would be quite nice, as would 
probably Fiorentina, who played a crazy game at the Dalara. They drew 3-3. Dusan Vlahovic scored twice for Fiorentina. Of course, he did. Giacomo Bonaventura also scored, but significantly on the other side, big Rodrigo Palacio scored a hat-trick. He's 39 years old, and he's still knocking about banging hat-tricks. Kev, he's got to be the player of the week this week, surely. Yeah, and I was I was a little surprised when I uh, I sort of looked him up that I, I, for some reason I think he's he's been thirty six since he was playing for Inter <laughs> Genoa. And, never mind Inter. And uh, and yeah, and then when I saw oh he's he's one of us he's in the thirty nine club, um, you know soon to be forty in July with you and Ibra and uh, with me and Ibra and uh, I'm assuming that he he will be at Bologna next year. So you know, really. Uh, yeah, really sort of bringing, bringing the elder statesmen uh, up the league. He scored a hat trick. That's unbelievable. Yeah, and I tell you what, though, it wasn't it wasn't like a scuffed hat trick. You know, people that haven't seen it, the um, the first one is an excellent sort of first time shot with on, from a through through ball. He has a delightful sort of glancing header across the across the goalkeeper that then sort of nestles just inside the post in the inside side netting. And then the run he makes and the pass that picks him out for the third and then sort of his first touch control, the ability to kind of pivot his body and then sort of pass it past um, well, the goalkeeper because now mine's gone blank on who it'll be. Um, Dragovsky, I'm assuming. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a beautiful hat-trick. Lovely hat-trick. I remember back in a, in a world where fans and stuff were allowed at football stadiums, going to the Dallara when we were actually accepted in there, and Alessio De Giuseppe, who people might have seen on FIF social media channels from when I'm at games, he's always about Emilia Romagna. I used to chat to him at the games at Bologna, and there was so, so long, like, I can't remember the time period now, because just coming to me, this story, but where Palacio had been playing at Bologna for quite a while, and he had never scored a goal at Zalara. So he had scored away, but he had never scored at home. But the fans adored him because they were just like, he's, he's not a footballer. He's he's like beyond what footballers are. He's, he's a World Cup finalist. He's almost treated like royalty there. And then it was also there when he got his first goal at the Dallara. And it was an unbelievably joyous moment. So ever since then, I've just loved Rodrigo Palacios. So... I'm delighted to see him getting a hat-trick here. Uh, Vita, you wanted to jump in on this. Yes, um, Palacio had a fantastic game, but I'll also point out that, um, um, you know, Palacio, I think he's doing a great thing for the experienced ones, the the evergreen footballers. Well, the player who set up um, uh, the three goals, Emmanuel Vignato, is uh, doing something good, at least for the young boys coming through. So... The former Kievo prodigy, um, he had a fine game. He even managed to sprint back to stop uh, Dusan Vlaovic uh, from trying to complete his hat-trick. So he did a bit of that. So, um, yeah, very good performance from the youngster, and hopefully he continues that. And, yeah, and as I just mentioned, uh, Dusan Vlaovic for Fiorentina, um, 21, but uh, scored 19 goals, the youngest mm. player to do so in Serie A since uh, Jose Altafini for AC Milan in the 58-59 season. And um, he's the first Fiorentina player since Alberto Giladino in 2008-2009 uh, to score up that, I mean, to score that many goals. So, yeah, another big praise for him too. Mm, no, it's a very impressive return. The get, the week's other game came in Verona, where Verona and Spezia played at a 1-1 draw. Almost tempted to say it's a match that didn't really matter, but of course it does for Spezia. Ricardo Saparara had to level quite late for them mm. to cancel out Eddie, Salcedo, Eddie Salcedo's opener. Um, but, Kev, I, I'm tempted to say that Spezia should be okay, but they're in it. They are in trouble, and you just worry that maybe they've not reacted in the way that some of the other teams have. Yeah, but when I suppose if I'm a Spezia fan, I'm looking directly at Benevento, and I think their ability to pick up a point like they did against Verona this weekend will just keep that confidence flowing through the side that they will pick up points. And they, you know, when they're maybe one nil down and they're in the 85th, you know, minute or later, 
that they'll keep on grinding it out because they've kind of they've come through it before they've grabbed a goal. Whereas the same scenario with Benevento, don't see it. And I think that's what might just get them over the line that they'll pick up another two or three points, even if it's just grinding out draws now out of the last four games. I know even... they play Rome yeah. on the last day, so they'll get a win there easy. Yeah, well, actually, I think I might have that down as a draw. So, uh, <laughs> Change that. <laughs> I think, oddly enough, those last round of fixtures, I had a few of those down as a draw just because I think a lot of things will be decided and then teams will just kind of play things out. Players won't want to get injured if they're going to the the Euros because mm. there'll be a lot of players going with you know Poland and all these other sides that are qualified for this extended Euros that, we, that we've got now. Um, or had now for the last uh, edition of this. Okay, and that's it. We've we've reached the end that's not the end because, of course, we've got to play the game. Look at that. Two focused faces. Two very, very focused faces. Guys, you know the rules. I've got a, a mystery Serie A player. <laughs> what are you laughing nothing. at? Huh? Uh, knowing the rules means nothing. <laughs> no, not when you're a moron. <laughs> but I mean, it does it does help to, to understand how to under to discover the identity of the player. But when you're given clues like the the, the club don't play in Genoa and they they don't wear blue, and you say is it the Sampdoria player? There's not really much you can do to help you there, Kev. Or I'll stop because it's bordering on bullying if I continue, probably. Um, Kev, you go first, don't you? That's just how it works. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be quite rude. You're not getting this one, Kev. So okay. Vito might get it. Um, off you go. Oh, okay. uh, are they Italian? No, they're not Italian. Okay. Okay, does this player play for a club in the north of Italy? They do play for a club in the north of Italy, yes. Is this player from a club in the Lombardia region? No, they do not play in Lombardia. Kev, back to you. Do they play in Turin? No, they do not play in Turin. Vito. Do they play in... Do they play in Emilia Romagna? <laughs> yeah, they play in Emilia Romagna. Here he comes, the shark. Is it? Is it a Parma player? Yeah, it's a Parma player. Yeah, see you later, Kev. Okay, is it a forward? It's not a forward. So, Kev, just to remind you, it is a foreign Parma yes. player that's not a is forward. A so don't say Gervinho. What is it a defender? Is it a defender? He is a defender, yes. Is it? Bruno Alves. No, because we've already <laughs> had him. <laughs> we've already I couldn't had resist. Bruno Alves. Yeah, I couldn't resist that. And also, I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the lad who played centre half with him tonight. Um, it's anyway, over. Yeah. It's I can't say his name. Um, no, it's over not, to you anyway. That's probably why I blocked it out. Okay. Look, I'm asking. I don't know this guy's first name. Uh, is it Durix? Yeah, yeah, the guy that Kev was talking that's about, DX. Guy, yeah. um, it's not DX, DX. no. Not okay. I only learned how to say his name because I was chatting to someone very close to him the other day. Um, You've got 15 seconds left. I know, I can't think of foreign defenders now. They have a lot of very forgettable players. 10, 9. Uh, Kurtic played defence a little while. Yeah, but he's not a defender. Yeah. Vito, quickly, 4 seconds. No. <laughs> I can only think Gagliolo on a technicality. Yeah, I would. You know what? I was tempted to go with Gagliolo on a technicality, but I thought that might be a bit controversial, so I didn't. Yeah. It was Vincent Laurini. Oh, Laurini! Damn! Didn't jump right away. Him. Damn. One of the most forgettable footballers. Mm. One of the most yeah. forgettable footballers I have ever seen in my life. Um, but there you mm. go. So I was. Not that well, the reason I chose him and the reason I choose a lot of these players are because I opened the Wikipedia squad list and go, I forgot about him. I'll do him. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, interestingly. Well, no, not interestingly. It's just a question. <laughs> Here we um, go. Yeah. No, well, when you uh, when Vito was sort of you know rattling off Darmian, and I thought to myself, where is Victor Moses? <laughs> anybody? Just you know, anybody can put my mind to rest. Is before he in I go Turkey to bed? somewhere? Okay. All right. I, I was. I returned Possibly. your question with a question. Um, uh, maybe I, I was, was thinking about him. Jail, He's with Spartak me. Moscow. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh, interesting choice. <laughs> He's been about. He's hasn't he? he has played in Turkey. I believe he has. Yeah. So his career Turkey. path: Crystal Palace, Wigan, Chelsea, Liverpool, Stoke, West Ham, Fenerbahce, Inter, Spartak Moscow. He scored three goals for them apparently, according to Wikipedia. There you go. Um, Kev, you wanted to talk about a Crotone kit? Oh, well, no, I just, I found it interesting that last week they brought out a kit and marketed it as the Palmer Crotone <laughs> game kit at, uh, you know, the pricely sum of 75 euros, as nice as it was. Which um, is... They did wear the, it, a, it. Quite importantly, the kit is the same colours as their home kit. Yes, it is pretty much, rather than having multiple red stripes on a dark blue <laughs> background, it has just one scribbled stripe down the middle. Much nicer than their home shirt, but they wore it against Inter again. And um, I hope for any Crotone fans that shout out €75 Euros for it, it becomes their home strip next season. See, that's what I'm most struck by, because when you sent the picture, I just assumed it would say like Palma Crotone, but it actually says 2020 2021 so and that's on the official shirt suppliers yes. website as well zeus calabria you, you did your hang on you've just seen the top <laughs> so you've sent the screenshot obviously but i can see the yeah. the other tabs that you've got open on yeah. there. <laughs> where is hot in december yeah, <laughs> yeah. stace wanting to know where we're potentially going for christmas <laughs> And 17 best things. I can't remember what that was. That was to do somewhere. Also, also um, holiday related. It's the wear is hot in December. It just got me. I don't know why. I don't know why that's so funny. <laughs> but oddly enough, I made that mistake one year with Vietnam, realizing that one end of Vietnam is much warmer than the north of Vietnam so you really do need to pack for both climates if you're traveling through Vietnam uh, over the space of six why weeks are we, during December why are we bookending this with travel advice for <laughs> faraway places wow. I know the other bit was off air actually wasn't it <laughs> quite importantly uh, was off air yes okay yeah actually well well while we're here do you want to give the listeners your advice Oh, Remember, so we've got a 12-year-old listening to us. Yes. Um, anybody who travels through Asia uh, and, and needs to use a night train, I would suggest that you don't do as I did and sleep naked, as I would normally do in my bed at home, because mosquitoes will bite you in places you don't want to be bitten. Say goodbye, Vito Doria. <laughs> Goodbye, Connor Clancy. And Kev, say goodbye. Goodbye, lads. That's goodbye from me and congratulations, Inca. Campione d'Italia! Campione d'Italia! Campione d'Italia! Siamo noi! Campione d'Italia! Campione d'Italia! Inter, campione d'Italia! Lo sai per un gol Io darei la vita La mia vita in fondo lo so Sarà una partita infinita Un sogno che ho E un coro che sale a sognare Su giù dalla
Yo. Es continuero. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.